Welcome back to another episode of the G&G Sports Podcast. I am your host, Peter Gumas, and we're here to talk about what's going on between the lines in the NFL, MLB, NBA, and more. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Aaron Gillette. Aaron, how are you today? I'm doing good. I'm a little disappointed that we've been off for this long and he couldn't think of a question to bring me in. You know, I remember specifically yesterday thinking, oh, that's a great question. And now I can't remember what said (laughs) question was. So I don't have a question for you. But hey, in an alternate timeline, you had a great question for me. Oh, great question. But who knows what would happen in that alternate timeline. (laughs) (laughs) It could have gone very differently. So it's been three weeks since we've talked. Obviously, our lives have gotten in the way a little bit of podcasting in the last few weeks. But a lot has happened. Yes. Including the biggest game of the year for any American sporting event. And that would be, of course, the Super Bowl. So we are going to start right there with our way too too late Super Bowl Way recap. too late. Way too late. But I'm still in for it because I like talking about the Super for Bowl. For sure. First, before we get into more detail, what were your general thoughts of the game? Overall, I think it was a pretty solid Super Bowl. The first half was slow, but it wasn't bad football necessarily. And the second half, we, you know, the third quarter, each quarter was kind of ugly for one team, but it made for an exciting game with the comeback, especially, you know, six minutes left in the game. And we'll dive into, you know, that full comeback by the Chiefs. But Mm -hmm. overall, I thought it was a solid game. Both teams had a real chance to win it. It was exciting to have kind of two fresh faces in the Super Bowl. We haven't had really two, two fresh faces in the Super Bowl since what? Colts? Bears? (laughs) Bears? <laughs> like it's been it's been a long time. So I really enjoyed that aspect of it. There were a lot of young talented players in this game that I think we're going to see back in the Super Bowl. And I, I overall I thought it was a great game and and a hell of a halftime to go with it. And Patrick Mahomes was the first AFC quarterback since 2014 not named Tom Brady to throw a touchdown in the Super Bowl. Which yeah, is and if crazy. You, if you back it up and you add in Roethlisberger, Manning and Flacco, then it's like the last one was Rich Gannon, I think. Oh, God, in like 2002. <laughs> so, like 0-2 for the Raiders. So, yeah, it's it's uh, really, I mean, the fifth fifth AFC quarterback this millennium, sixth, if you, I guess if you count Dilfer and Dilfer as well, uh, to, throw a, to throw a touchdown for the AFC. So, yeah, pretty crazy. And it, and it must and, be at least a dozen on the other side. Oh, easily, easily. Yeah. We we could we could, d- could go dive in on that. And and obviously we're going to talk a lot about Mahomes here, but it does feel like this was the first of many for the Chiefs and at least for for Mahomes. Yeah, and I'm kind of with you. It was I thought it was actually a pretty boring game for the first half. I I was honestly, I don't know why I was bored cuz like you said it wasn't terrible football, but for some reason I was just a little bit bored with the game. It felt uh, then, like two teams a little bit nervous and a little bit mm-hmm. playing for two teams that are known for being more aggressive, especially offensively. It was two team. It was a pretty conservative first half. I think a lot. I think a lot of people expected this to be a run and gun kind of show, yeah, and a lot sure. more more like the fourth quarter than like the first half. So I think that's where I, I felt at the first half because it was it wasn't a lot of possessions. Each team only had the ball no. a few times because the Niners did their kind of long touchdown drive thing. The Chiefs got one on the board too, and so yeah, there just weren't a lot of where it wasn't a lot of time for each team to have the football. Yeah, but it did, as you said, it did pick up late, really in the fourth quarter. The fourth quarter was one of the better fourth quarters that we've probably had in a few years because last year kind of sucked. <laughs> um, so let's start here with the San Francisco Niners. We start with the loser as we normally do. What went wrong here? Did they blow this game? They were up 20-10 to 10, just to recap in the fourth quarter. They, I, they did and they didn't. I think... Uh, 
blow it is is I think over I think people have been more harsh than deserved for the Niners. I think part of it was they got beat. You know, the last touchdown that made it 31 really makes it seem worse than it was. It really it was just they couldn't get the job done, but it, it really felt like the Niners didn't have the receiving threats they needed to to hang in this game. I mean, Kittle was kind of held in check, which was really surprising. I mean, only four catches for 36 yards. You know, Debo had some big splash, play, splash plays, but they were mostly with his feet. And then when it got into crunch time and, and Jimmy needed to throw the ball to try to put this game away, and I, I, they didn't seem to have the running game going more than anything, but, but then all of a sudden they're down and they can't seem to string together the receptions they need, and it just felt like the Chiefs were the tough defense and, and not the Niners. And I, I think the script got flipped on them. And there was definitely a little bit of panic. And, and I think the, the rightful question that I think has been the harshest criticism, I think I think probably the Shanahan criticism is too much. I think calling this a choke job is too much. But I think the rightful criticism is is with Jimmy G. And and curious on your thoughts there, if who, who you're blaming this game on for the Niners. Yeah, I'm kind of torn because a lot of people, like we said, did blame Kyle Shanahan. And I think there were probably some plays he wanted to have back. I mean, the, the end of the first half – was on oh that completely. was terrible I'm with I mean you, he, yeah. he he completely botched that and I think after the game he said like he was oh happy. yeah we felt comfortable going into the half 10 to 10 and that is like that's, oh, that's that yeah that grinded my gears a hundred percent and you yeah. saw Andy Reid in the first half actually go for a couple fourth downs even deep like in San Francisco territory which I was kind of surprised about but I think that whole narrative that he completely blew this game wasn't necessarily fair because I think if you look at it he called some plays where, like, if his quarterback had made the play, right, they would have like we wouldn't even be talking about a this. A lot the, of deflected the, balls at the line of scrimmage. A lot of deflected balls. There was one where the guy was wide open. He did miss, like, he missed Kittle wide open on a play. He missed that deep ball. He late missed in the Sanders. Yeah, like if he if he hits those plays, we're talking about how like how awesome he was and how he went for it and this and that. So I right. think the narrative just changed, and I think I would put more of the blame on to Jimmy G because really and truly we say it all the time. Like at the end of a game, two minutes left chance to go down and score a touchdown. Do you want this guy as your quarterback? And we saw that in the biggest of moments. We saw that in the Super Bowl. One, two minutes, however much time was left. It was late in the fourth quarter. Yeah. And there, the, the opportunity was there. Jimmy could have done it and Jimmy didn't do it. And, yeah. I, and it sucks to say that. And, uh, and you look on the other side where, Actually, we'll get back to Mahomes in a minute, but go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, and that Jimmy G overthrow at the end of Sanders, especially like that, you got to give your guy a chance because Mm -hmm. you give your guy a chance, all of a sudden pass interference comes into play. And it's just one of those balls where the overthrow kills you. The underthrow, you can actually overcome a little bit because if you give, if you give Emmanuel Sanders a chance and the reason you're taking that shot is because you think Emmanuel Sanders can win that play. You got to give him a chance to catch a football. And obviously it's, it's not that simple. And he was hucking it really far down the field, but it just felt like, I, I think, you know, Shanahan can be, you know, you could criticize him for not running the ball, but they weren't yeah. that successful running the football during this this game. Really, the Debo had the big kind of swing plays, but Mostert and Coleman were kind of held in check. And mm-hmm. and the Kansas City defensive line was getting their hands up in the air and causing Jimmy to feel uncomfortable. And, and uh, you know, they only sacked him once, but he just didn't, he wasn't comfortable at really any point of this game other than maybe the third quarter. And, when 
the Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs are on the other side of the football and they get within a score, man, it feels like they're winning. And it's mm-hmm. it's it's terrifying. And and then that's exactly what the, the Chiefs did. Niners going forward. They still have a lot of that core. They still yeah. have a, a very talented team. Do you think that they'll be right back in the mix next year? I think you you got to expect it with especially with, the, with their front seven on the defensive side and and their offensive line. I don't know who's free agent who's going, but if the if the core of those lines and those fronts are are intact, then yeah, they're going to be right back in the mix. I mean, most are none of us had heard of him until week what nine, ten, eleven mm-hmm. this season. Um, when you're creating holes like that and you you've got an offensive mind like Shanahan who can scheme guys open, scheme running backs into enormous holes like that, they're going to be successful. The trick is that they're in a really tough division. So a, a big part of what got them to the Super Bowl was that home field advantage. So will we see them back in the Super Bowl next year? No, I think they'll be right in the thick of the playoff race, though. Mm-hmm. I, I have no reason to believe otherwise. What, what do you think? Yeah, I think they'll probably be back in the playoffs. I don't see any reason why they wouldn't be. I just still now, in the back of my head, I'm going to be worried about Jimmy G in a big game especially yeah. you know if they get down and if they have to come back we we said that about we said that about Lamar like yeah. what's it going to be like when he has to come back cuz the teams are not built the same way but they are built the same way in the fact that they're mainly running teams and that you know that bit them in the butt in this game it, it really did so going forward i mean if I'm the Niners and i have to play whoever it is Russell Wilson in the playoffs every year or Drew Brees i'm not necessarily feeling as good as I was maybe before this game. Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And again, I think I, I think the Lamar comp is is fair because it's it's what people mm-hmm. are gonna be saying about Lamar and, and Jimmy right, until he does it. Jimmy won two two playoff games, but he didn't play particularly well in either right. he didn't need he didn't yeah, need this to would be, which is different, different if you know, he Three exactly. seven touchdowns in in the other two games. Right, exactly. If yeah, if he had lit up the Packers by himself or something right. like that, then you then he gets off the hook. But but the narrative going into this game was, can Jimmy do it? He hasn't had to do it yet. And then yeah, he, he played right into the narrative. Exactly. So and the same thing. That's what happened with Lamar too as well. Can he do it in the playoffs? And the answer was no this year. So until those guys overcome those moments, you know, it only takes one game. And I think we saw mm-hmm. that with with the Chiefs too, right? Like it, they they make that comeback in the first round of the playoffs here, and all of a sudden they're they can do it, and they're the team that you know they they beat the Patriots in the regular season this year. They do the thing they did they did they had those kind of check marks that people always are saying, well, can they do this? Can they do that? And they they check those off along the way. And the Niners hadn't quite done it. And obviously, narrative isn't the whole story. And at some point, you know, for the Chiefs to become the Chiefs, they need they need to break through. And and this was definitely that Niners' opportunity. But you you don't get a lot of these shots, and they've got a really tough division. You know, the Rams are going to retool, and McVay yep. is going to be sitting. McVay had extra weeks in the offseason this year to to sit right, back and look at no what he needs to do. Draft pick and are playing paying a quarterback <laughs> and a running back fifty yep. million dollars. Agreed, but they they're still not going to be a pushover. No, and and the Seahawks are are going to get better. So it's a tough division. If if it'll yeah, be one of the, the toughest Cardinals with with Calmer, yeah, yeah. So it's it's not going to be an easy road back. It, you know, I I don't expect thirteen wins out of them again next year. Mm-hmm. Whereas I probably do expect twelve wins out of the Chiefs again next year. But I, I still love their chances. That defense is so great, and they've got a lot of weapons on the offensive side that they'll they'll they're going to be a very great regular season team. I think the question is. Can they get past it? And we've seen this. I mean, we see we've seen this with Kyle Shanahan teams before. The Falcons got there; they look like the best team of football, and then they were a really talented roster. And and we know where that's turned them into. So that's the fear if you're the Niners fan. But I think also 
the optimism is there because this is last year they were four and twelve, <laughs> and they just right, right. and they had they had the lead in the Super Bowl with seven minutes left in the football game. So there's no reason to think that they can't improve and be just as good, if not better, next year and be and they'll be playoff tested and they'll have all that motivation. So that, there's plenty of reason for optimism for the Niners, and I, I expect them to be in the mix again next year. So flip over now. Let's go to the Chiefs. Chiefs. What would you say? I guess the main, this might be a dumb question, but what would you say the main factor in them winning this game was? It's the receiver speed. This was the thing I, I was uh, disappointed we didn't get a chance to do a preview before the game. Mm-hmm. And the thing I've been texting you about was the matchup I was so excited about was the Niners corners versus the Chiefs receivers. And I got a chance to see the Niners in person this year in that Baltimore game. And what I came away from that day was, my God, the Niners corners are physical and tough and they do not miss tackles. And that was the thing that, I, you know, so it was the ultimate like strength for speed. And one of my favorite things about the Chiefs offense is how they use their fast receivers as decoys for each other. The way that they play off Watkins and uh, Tyree Kill to set each other up for the big plays has been something that's been magic for them all season long. And, and it turned out to be the play. This is the play that everyone's talking about. Uh, you know, Wasp that just got added to Madden uh, was the classic play where they get the they get you know Watkins to run the dig route and then because the corner bites on the dig route and sticks with Watkins it opens up that left kind of corner of the field for Mahomes to you know throw a freaking incredible ball to Mm -hmm. Hill just sitting in his own all by himself and uh, you know ultimately kind of what we thought about the Chiefs all year long was true again here which is like you can hold them down for a while but they're gonna score so can you match it and Really, the thing that was the craziest about this game was that Mahomes was terrible for most of it. Yeah, so I'll, I'll take over here on Mahomes. Yeah. What I loved about Mahomes in this game was exactly what you just said. Like, he was not good. Not particularly good. He wasn't terrible, but he wasn't regular Mahomes that we're used to. Really, for like the first three quarters of this game, he was struggling. He did miss some throws. He made some Two bad, bad decisions. bad picks. A couple terrible picks. But what I love... And another, you know, one of those main ways that we charge a quarterback, like we said earlier, is, you know, how they come back and whatever, and and you play when you're down, and you have two minutes and the ball off. That's one thing. But also, I love judging them on how are you doing when things aren't going your way. You know, when you're in a dogfight like this, you're playing a physical team, it's, it's a huge game, you're not playing your best game, can you still put it together? Can you still come out and get your team a win? And that was... Probably the most impressive part of his performance in that game was that it didn't go well. It yeah. wasn't going well. And they still put up however many points they put up and, you know, ended up not running away with the game, but they ended up winning the game on a, on a day where maybe they shouldn't have. And I yeah. thought that was probably the most impressive part of Mahomes on that day. Absolutely. And let me be clear. What, I, what I'm the, the takeaway for me about Mahomes being terrible um, is a couple of things. One is what you just mentioned. Uh, I love that that. That, that clip that went around, I don't know if you saw the the kind of wired sound, whatever they call it in the NFL oh, bit, yeah. where they He's talk about the Wasp. Air. Yeah, it was that on that play, it was third and 15. He was calling for Wasp first and 10. He's like, I don't care what the down and distance is. We need that play right now. I feel it. It's the mm-hmm. right time. I'm going to go for it. And I love that about him. And the takeaway for me about Mahomes being terrible is that if he's terrible and wins Super Bowl <laughs> MVP, if that's him, if that's him on his worst day, what chance does the right. league have? And and I really, it's re- legitimately 
not ridiculous to say that this kid has the chance to be the best who ever did it. And no. it's it's not hyperbole. It's no. realistic. He checks off every box is the thing. Like, he's got a Super Bowl MVP younger than Brady did. He's got an MVP younger than pretty much anyone until Lamar took it from him. He's but he, thrown, has the, he has the physical tools. I'm absolutely. saying he has the mental. And he isn't like Peyton Manning where he gets in the playoffs and craps himself. No. Like, he does literally – Everything that you could want out of a quarterback, and he's three gonna be back there, no di- doubt about it. Three and double digit comebacks. There, three, no lead is safe with comebacks. this guy out there. None. How many other quarterbacks, if put in those same exact scenarios, would have gone zero and three in the league? Pretty much most of them. <laughs> almost all of them. There, it would have been. No one's winning all three. No. You can almost guarantee you that no one's winning all three. Maybe I don't know. Russell Wilson can win two. Maybe I'm not even sure of that. Down twenty four zero. I don't know. Yeah, and the. The, just the devastating part for me as a Ravens fan. I've waited my whole life, and this generational quarterback comes my way, lands in my lap, wins an MVP, and the entirety of his career, he's going to have to go against Mahomes to get to the Super yeah. Bowl. The entirety yeah. of his career. I mean, like, best case scenario, I'm looking at, like, best case scenario, I'm looking at this turning into Brady Manning, and I and I sneak out a couple. But, like, I, I, thought, I, got, I thought I got done with this. I thought I got done with dealing with Brady being in the Super Bowl every year. And now a better player comes rolling through, and and the only hope, the only hope is that Brady took pay cuts for the the Patriots, and and it looks like Mahomes is going to get the you know they're going to back up the bank for him as yeah. they should because again he might be the best football player who ever sure. lived. So, yeah, I I'm I'm devastated as a Ravens fan. I hope we can steal a couple from him in the course of his career, but I'm not optimistic. That's for sure. So was this the start of a a Chiefs dynasty? I. I I mean listen maybe not a three year dynasty but like a ten or fifteen year dynasty it could be it, it feels like I mean listen if if Ben Roethlisberger and Philip Rivers and a couple of these guys have stuck it around this many years with their franchise Mahomes is going to be their guy until he calls it quits right like this is mm-hmm. and or until it's into a Brady situation in year twenty when maybe he doesn't have it anymore right sure. but we're looking at at least another ten to fifteen years of Patrick Mahomes in in Kansas City. Um, uh, you know, unless he pulls a pulls an MJ and it's just dominating too much, that so he's like, I'm gonna take a couple years off. But yeah, I, I, it very well could be a dynasty. The the trick of calling it a dynasty is that it means that the defense plays its part. That you know all these offensive weapons he has because yeah, yes, Mahomes is this magical and he's this magical independent of his receivers. But it really helps to have Tyreek Hill and Kelsey and sure guys who open up the field for him. So. We'll see how many years they can maintain a roster around Mahomes to make it truly Super Bowl worthy while other teams are gunning for him. And, you know, the Ravens do have Lamar on a rookie contract and mm-hmm. there's a lot of other young, exciting players coming into the league, you know. So so these windows open and shut. And and like we saw with Brady, if you're around long enough and if you're the, the key cog, then then it kind of cycles based on the core group of guys in the locker room. So it'll be dependent on that. But, yeah, I, as far as the AFC West, good luck. If you're in that division, I mean, looking at next year, I mean, who's going to challenge them? The the Broncos, the Raiders, or the Chargers? No one's going to challenge the Chiefs. So for the short term, yeah, the the Chiefs are going to be everyone's pick out of the AFC, deservedly so. And then until someone proves otherwise, they're the champs. And really, going back two years now, they've been the best team of football. I mean, if they don't have an offside that grants the Patriots, uh, you know, an extension of a drive, they might have mm-hmm. just this might have been their second Super Bowl dub. So. Yeah, I'm terrified as as an AFC fan that we just we just traded out one dynasty for the next one. So last thing here with the Chiefs, we got to do it. Andy Reid, man. Andy Reid, big red. Lock Hall of Famer now. 
I I feel obligated to let you answer this question. So, Peter, is Andy I mean, Reid a, a, a Hall of Famer? He's listen. He's a definite lock Hall of Famer. Yes, one hundred percent. If you win a Super Bowl and are, he's right now. I'm looking at the list. He's number seven in total wins. That's just regular season. He's got another uh, fifteen in the playoffs. He's got two hundred twenty-two total wins. Yeah, I mean, he's absolutely a Hall of Famer. The only guys that are close to him don't, and that aren't in the Hall of Fame don't have a Super Bowl. So he got it. He'll be in the Super Bowl. But this actually I got him feel, to a winning record do, in the playoffs, ten and nine. I do feel obliged to bring up a point, and that is, did he really overcome his shortcomings? This team was not ready to go. Like. <laughs> Two weeks in a row. Three weeks in a row. He's down 10 three, in all really three of these games. Yeah, sure. <laughs> like, is is Patrick Mahomes the only guy that can't be screwed over by Andy Reid? Like, is that is he the, the most Andy... I don't even know a word for it, but like... Reid-proof? Reed, sure, Reid-proof guy in, in history. Uh, maybe, but it also... Patrick Mahomes doesn't become Patrick Mahomes if Andy Reid isn't the guy who brought him up. I, no, I agree with that. I agree and, with that. And I no the the most com- I was texting you during it. The most comical part was the kneel downs. It's an eleven point game. The game is over, and Andy oh. Reid has never tried harder to manage the clock so he didn't have to punt the ball than in that situation. And, 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 and it had, didn't matter. It didn't matter at all. But he also <laughs> had three timeouts, which I found amazing. Like yeah. the, the the karma coming back where he actually has all three timeouts at in the both end halves. Of, like, he had he had the game. three at the end of the first half too, and actually was like trying to use it to get the ball back. Like Andy was out mm-hmm. out uh, clock managing Shanahan at the end of the first half. So is he the second best coach of this generation? <sighs> That's tough. I think it's TBD. You know, Tomlin's got no. Tomlin has one Super Bowl, and you know how much I, we've talked about at length about Tomlin. I, but yeah, that's I, a hard no for me. I think it's a race to the second ring, right? If Harbaugh gets a second ring and, and Andy Reid doesn't get one, then you probably But, I, but he's also same been with, to how many championship games? It's not just yeah, the one. Yeah, same with Pete Carroll. Same with, you know. But I, has how many have, how many have they been to? Cuz he's been to he went to 5 with the Eagles and another this is his second. He so he's been to 7 championship games. Yeah, that two Super Bowl be, seven I would championship games. More than all Carroll's those guys. been to yeah, but it's also he's been coaching a lot longer. So Carroll's been to still Carroll's been with the Seahawks has been to two Super Bowls and a handful of championship games and went to a Super Bowl with the Patriots as well. Right? Was he the Patriots yeah, no, coach in the nineties? Yeah. So so uh no, I don't think he was he was it Parcells? Was Parcells. Anyway, so I, I would say it's probably a race to the second ring before I'm willing to give it to anyone. But yeah, absolutely. Andy Reid is Deserves to be me, in that conversation for, for you know. Let the, me end this conversation on this note. If Andy Reid, he's 62 years old, if he coaches 10 more years and that team averages 10 wins a year, which I think is probably conservative, to be honest with you, he could end up legitimately number one in wins. How far behind Belichick is he? So he's not that far. Belichick has... Uh, 273 plus 31, so he's got 304. Okay. That's the real question is how long does Belichick coach? Right. Uh, Because Belichick is going to, at least in total wins, Belichick is going to end up passing uh, George Halas and Don Shula. And he's, I mean, he might not pass Don Shula. It depends, again, it depends on how many more years he goes. Right. But Andy Reid could definitely, I mean, if he goes for 
the entirety of Patrick Mahomes' career, he could definitely he could push number. It's sad, it's crazy to think about, but he could push minimum top three wins all time. Yeah, absolutely, and that would be crazy. Absolutely, and again, I, I I don't think it's unfair to say he's the second best coach of the last twenty years. But I think no. again, there's a there's a whole handful of guys at that one ring. A handful of them have a legitimate shot at a second ring over the next couple of years, and Andy's got the best shot of any of them. So yeah, he wins yeah. another. He puts another ring on then. Yeah, I'm with you for sure. All but. right, we'll stop talking about him because I don't want to defend him anymore <laughs> than I already have because I do think that if he had freaking any other quarterback, he would have lost probably all those games. So, so uh, okay, let's move on here. Aaron, yes. are you ready for another round of Pomp Comps? It's been a while, but sure, let's, re- let's run it back. I got to tell you, this crew of Pop Comps, it, it might be too hard. Oh, boy. Like, I don't know if you'll be able to. To come up with a good well, we've had we've had a few weeks of sports coverage for me to d- dip into, so we'll see what I can come up with. You're gonna have to get real creative on some of these. All, all right. right, we're gonna go first. I'm gonna put one into your wheelhouse. All right. All right. If that's true, if you don't know who I am, then maybe your best course would be to tread lightly. Did you hear that? Fine. Uh, of course, I heard it fine. So that is, of course, Walter White. Telling Hank to tread lightly. Yeah, when you told bad. me pop comps were coming today, I figured uh, you you and it was gonna be TV theme. I knew something Breaking Bad would slip in there. Tread lightly. This is probably your easiest one of the day. This is my easiest one of the day. Oh boy, because you can tread lightly. Is, you can think of tread lightly. Yeah, I got a couple of of ways my brain is heading. One is uh, the Houston Astros and and. Uh, Anytime, anytime they they travel on the road and what to expect from the the opposing fan base. Every time that they talk to the media and, and what they say and and how they make sure that they don't get themselves suspended potentially. I like it. So I'll go with the Houston Astros. They better tread lightly this season. It's going to be a real interesting one for them. All right, going on to number two. This house is a fucking prison on planet <laughs> bullshit in the galaxy of this sucks camel dicks. All right, so that that is of course. Uh, Will Ferrell and John C. Riley in the legendary movie Step Brothers. Aaron, and I'm not allowed. To, I, so, as my inclination as a Baltimore fan is to be like, this is the preparation for the Baltimore Orioles season that's upcoming. I know I'm not oh, supposed to do wow. Baltimore stories. Oh my God, that was my question for you. Oh, it was an <laughs> Orioles-related question. It was gonna be how, how does how does it feel to be more than uh, half of the years old? Of the amount of wins your baseball team. <laughs> How dare you? Cause, cause, How dare you? That's so you, rude, you, you but know, it's so I true. Mean, they're not getting sixty wins. Uh, Fifty nine wins. That's rude, but true. Um, no, the Orioles put out a little video like we've arrived at spring training, and they showed a whole bunch that, of players. You sent me that video. They showed a whole bunch of players, and the only one I recognized is our number one draft pick from last year. It's, that is pretty pathetic. It is dark times. It's dark times. All right, back to the. All right, this house is a prison. Oh, so I can't go with the uh, can't go with the Orioles. Um, oh no, you can if you if you want to go with the Orioles. It's the I'll, Orioles. I'll the, the, this this generation of Baltimore Orioles is how I. Feel. That's exactly how I feel. All right, all right. I got a good one here. This one's a little quicker, so I'll try to get out of baseball attention. for you. Yeah. This right here. This right here. It's called tapping hours. This is the hours <laughs> people are tapping ass. <laughs> So that is Leon 
and curb your enthusiasm. These are tapping hours, Aaron. These are tapping hours. All right. I'm going to throw it to my guy, Alex Ovechkin. He has been tapping in goals left and right lately. He's chasing down 700. He'll be the eighth player ever to do it. He had a ridiculous away, stretch. Right? Yeah, he's two away. He's been stuck on two away for like two games after a stretch of eight games where he scored 14 goals. But this has been absurd. They're changing the TV schedules to make sure he's in prime time. But uh, he had a game a couple of weeks ago where the Caps were down two to one with four minutes left, and he hadn't scored, and he ended with a hat trick. It's hmm. it's it's tapping hours, Pete. It's tapping hours for Ovechkin. We're getting there. All right, I like it. That's a good one. All right, this is the last one, and <laughs> it might be it might be the hardest one. For, oh boy, for you to come up with, but you know, here we are. Ready? The sea was angry that day, my friends. <laughs> <laughs> Like an old man trying to send back soup in a deli. All right, so that is George oh, that's where you ended the quote. Yeah, I'm not going further. So who's the old man trying to return soup at the deli? Yep. Oh boy. Hmm. Uh, is it Coach K yelling at his? Uh, is Coach K the old man in the deli yelling at his students <laughs> about? It could be. But they were heckling a opposing coach who was a former Duke player yep. and telling him to come sit with us, which I actually think is quite clever and mm-hmm. pretty harmless. And Coach K blew a gasket. Oh, he he flipped out he on needed those to break. They he they needed to take that suit back. All right, I like it. So that concludes our pop comps for today. Good job. Thank you. you. Did better than I thought you were going to. Thank do. you. I thought that last one might be a little tough. Listen, you were who I thought you were, and I let you off the hook. I appreciate that. <laughs> All right. So we've touched a little bit on the MLB today. Yeah. Right? We've talked a little Orioles. Yeah. Kind of in their futility. So pitchers and catchers reporting for duty. Today, yeah. Yesterday, this week, whatever it is. So meanwhile, the MLB decides to put out into the ether a new potential playoff format. They did. So I'm gonna read you I'm gonna read you it off here and then I want your thoughts. Absolutely. So the first part is they would expand the playoff field from five teams to seven per league. The second is that there would be no more, you know, quote unquote wild card game. Three, the first round would be a best out of three with all three games at the home team's venue. Four is that the top seed gets a buy, and then the five is the team with the better records get to pick their opponent. So definitely uh, some twists here that I did not anticipate. Let's start off. What do you think about this? I actually kind of love it. But before I dive into the actual format itself, I do want to point out, shout out to Rob Manfred for pulling the classic David Stern, which is everything is a nightmare. The league is crashing and burning. So let's throw out some news for people to talk about something else for, for a couple of weeks. Let's, let's divert the attention the away from redirect. the Astros <coughs> and the fact that we still haven't had a, a punishment for Alex Corey yet. Let's, let's divert our attention away from that and talk about this. My reaction is I am surprised how much outrage there is over this. I actually thought it was kind of awesome. I have a few I issues. I was surprised at that too, actually. I have a few issues with it, but especially... So what's your biggest issue with it? My biggest issue... I would say is I really struggle with a, a team getting a buy in baseball. I don't like it. I, I know it worked out okay. I kind of think that too. I, it worked out okay for the Nationals in, in the World Series, but I will die on this hill that like a week off in baseball is not helpful. And it worked out no, okay for them, I, but I it was a weird wonky series and they ended up winning it. But 
I think that's the exception, not the rule. The other issue I have with it is getting to the playoffs and playing three games and your fans not getting one game at home is really tough. And I just I don't like that at all. And and I know it's a logistics issue if you're going to play three games, especially right. if it's, let's say it's Angels-Yankees, to have to go back and forth across the country. You can't do that any other way. But I, I just, that's, I don't, it would be, can you imagine you're a fan, you've been going to games all year long, and you don't even get to see your team in the playoff game. And yes, it hurts when mm. your team loses a playoff game. And it's one thing with this wild card thing, like we've, we've set, a precedent for like okay we'll, we'll do a one and done but for three games to happen and to not get one at home is is pretty brutal so that's that's probably my biggest yeah. issue with it yeah i agree i the the buying baseball strikes me the wrong way you don't it's really hard you just you just don't want the buy your timing gets screwed up everything gets screwed up you do have the advantage of you can set your rotation right and honestly it depends how quickly they play these three games i think a little bit too like if you can finish it in a weekend Okay, maybe, but I don't know. I, I struggle with the buy part. What else are you liking and disliking here? I, I liked uh, first and foremost. I like expanding the playoffs, and I think they need to figure okay. out a way to do it, especially because baseball is a sport where they're trying to get more eyeballs on the sport, and it's so yeah. regional. And the way that you get these regional eyes locked in and become more interested in what's going on in the national scene is you get more teams in the playoffs, and that does you matter. It, it, it was it, it's mattered over the last handful of years. Like as an Orioles fan. In 2012, when we made the wild card game, after not having been to the playoffs for 15 years, that was the biggest deal in the world. And even though we were the fifth seed and had to go to Texas to win that game to get into the real playoffs, like it was a big deal. And mm-hmm. and that matters. So you need to be able to get more cities and more fan bases involved in those major moments because especially in a season where you have this crazy number of games and you get to the end and it's like and the last 30 games don't matter for half the teams or and it really only matters for a third of the teams, it's a problem. So they do need to figure out how to expand the playoffs. And probably the easy answer is to go to eight and go to you know eight in each league. And then, yeah, it's half the league make the playoffs, but at least you have more playoff revenue dollars. You can short the season potentially. So I'd rather see that route probably than this weird thing where one team gets a buy and then you can probably you know if you started the playoffs in mid-september instead of october one then you can still have the world series at the end of october it's a six weeks playoffs and you have five game sets in the first round and then you go into your kind of longer series like you could do that the nba does it the nhl does it no one really complains about those people joke about how Mm -hmm. long the playoffs are but people are still going to watch those first round series and everything else, right? So I think baseball would really benefit from that. So that's something that I, I, I again I think expanding the playoff field is really important and I think they 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 want it, they should do that there. So just overall you do think that they should do something to the playoffs. Yes. I, I think I it, it what does it hurt to have more teams in the playoffs? it's if you're the best team you should win those games anyway, right? And I think what it does for the fans of the sport is so important, and that's what the sport is hurting. It's what the what the sport's been hurting in for a number of years. So I I think that they should do it. I think it worked with the wild card. People people like this this format now, right? So it, I don't think people are opposed to adding adding playoff games. The no, thing I, I love I the, be opposed to adding playoff games. The thing I love the most about this proposed format, I love, and I can't believe people dislike this. I love pick your opponent. I think people, that is one of the greatest the ideas that, I've ever heard in sports. And I think that people are that's what they're most against. I can't believe it. Shockingly. I love it. Oh, it's a it, that is an unbelievable idea. Unbelievable idea. The the one, this is amazing if you're an underdog, right? The the fuck oh, you mentality 100%. you get if you guys want to play. Oh, they us? want to play us? You want to yeah, play, play us? 
And yeah. also, if you're the big bag villain to go, like, yeah, we want to fucking play you. I'd love oh, yeah. it because you instantly create all this drama with these two teams. Absolutely. Instantly. And you know what? Double down. Do it live. And listen, if you're Yankees Red Sox and you don't, you know what? You go and you go, you know what? We want the Red Sox. Like how awesome and how epic will that be? Like this is, I, don't, I can't believe. But, but, but would you want that live? Do you want the live show? Hell yeah, I want that live. And they said they, they be, their initial that, plan is that they said they that would That might do it. get better ratings than some of the games. Yeah, oh, easily. <laughs> to a live show. Easily. No would. question. Would that carry over into the next? No, because the next round's only. Right. It would, in this just... in this scenario, it's in the in the buy after like you get passes like the. Three so then they games. just reseed in the next. Then, two then in the next round, in the next round they reseed and you get to pick your opponent and it's four. So this would theoretically be like an entire round of wild card, mm-hmm. like a wild card round. So yeah, so there'd be wild card round. And then it goes to the regular. Uh, yeah, actually. Format. Yeah, I have to reread all that, but. I love pick your opponent. I think pick your opponent is one of the coolest ideas. I think how every people, I think I just every don't sport how people don't like not pick. I think your opponent. every sport immediately should implement this. The Ravens oh. would have, the Ravens would have avoided the Titans. All this could have been avoided. <laughs> this, 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 <laughs> I love no this. reason not to do this. I love this. It, it would be great. Imagine if you got the one seed and you got to pick who you played coming out of the bye because like legitimately what, there's a the major injury to a quarterback. Oh, yeah. Like oh, yeah. there's there's so many different variables in this. Oh yeah, that I think are awesome and add like a layer of fucking yeah. drama. Yeah, legitimately, it's, it's the Ravens would have picked the Texans and it would have been hilarious. They would have picked the higher seed. They would have said, "No, we'll pick the team that won right. the division as opposed to the right. team." <laughs> absolutely, it absolutely would have. It, it's it, it really is great because the matchups obviously mean so much. Like, yeah, I would have been all for this. And all right, Aaron. So one last thing I want to ask you ask you here in regards to the MLB is is just today actually. Yeah, they came out with a, a couple new rules. The main one being the three batter minimum. So relievers come in, they can only throw, or they they have to throw to a minimum of three batters. Unless they're, yeah, unless they're finishing the inning. So you can technically come in with like two outs in the sixth, and then you can just face one batter. Uh, it, it's I don't like this rule at all. I think it's really dumb, and it's it's putting managers in a weird scenario where basically now you've just incentivized to take them take out a starting pitcher in the half inning because then like you can have a, a reliever pitch for two batters he can face one batter well actually maybe i don't know anyway it's just going to create a, a work managers are going to find workarounds for it is my point and what i don't like is i don't like forcing strategy on managers i think that's i think that's part of what makes baseball interesting for core fans you know the idea of the double switch i, I like that they're adding the rosters that's going to make Double switches all the more easier in in the National League, and and we'll give AL right, and managers. Then just gonna add the DH in, in next year anyway. Right, and, right, and then and then meanwhile they've added in an extra roster, roster spot, which allows you know American League managers to do more more you know changes in game. So they're adding rules that are allowing for things that are going to take more time, and then they're forcing in this rule because they, they think it's going to reduce time. Again, I'm all for finding ways to reduce the time of the games, but I don't think this is a good way to do it, and I think. You know, if a guy comes in in the seventh inning and it was a close ball game, and all of a sudden he's getting shelled and he's given up three runs and he's only gotten an out and you can't take him out, like the first time that happens, there's going to be an uproar. Like you, br- Do you bring you it. Think that this and, and it's incentivizes an teams to start a reliever for like an inning. It could, if I guess. <laughs> yeah, I don't know though. It could it could potentially help with the opener strategy and lead to more of that. I, which I'm not against. I, I think the opener is interesting no, that, and that's fine. And uh, what's interesting about the opener is how it affects a lot of like traditional stats, like wins, losses, starts, and some of right. that stuff. And I wonder if there's been any impact on uh, 
on free agent contracts or anything like that. I haven't heard any rumblings about that, so I guess you know everyone understands what's going on there. But but yeah, I think the thing that's really going to blow this up is the first time that you know, in the if if it's a game in September and you've got a reliever who's a little bit shaky and and he comes in and and it, and you let's say you were up two runs and all of a sudden he's given up three and it's one out and he can't get an out and you're not allowed to take that guy out. It's a problem. I really hate that. I rule. agree. I just I don't like the rule. You know that I've been trying to fix baseball for a while yep. and. This does not seem like a way to fix it. I, they're really doing it to cut down on time, right? To get rid of the. That's the only rationale that, commercial, that I can think commercial, of. Commercial, commercial. Yeah. But I don't think that that's the way to do it. I don't think so either. <laughs> like, like you could not go to commercial. You could have them come out and throw three pitches, and be ready to go. You know, like I, I don't know. I don't think this is the way, <laughs> the way to accomplish. The, the goal that they're trying to do, but I also will give them credit where credit's due in the, in the fact that they're trying things to potentially help the flow of the game. Oh, it's at least uh, it's at least three batters or in the half inning. It's not three outs. Okay, that's sorry. Okay. I'm reading this three now. Batters. So that's three okay. three batter minimum. So that's that's a big difference. So I don't hate yes. that, but I still don't really understand the. I, I really don't think it's. A, I, yeah. Okay. So we got to. We need to. So the, the lefties now aren't going to be able to come in and pitch to one guy. Right. But yeah. So it's uh, I st- I still just I don't I don't think it's. I guess the only the only rationale I can get behind it is that it, it's coinciding with the twenty six players, so they're increasing their rosters, but they're trying to minimize the pitching changes. I, I still don't like it. Don't don't force strategy onto the game. All right. Well, you just got Aaron's live reaction because he did yeah, not know. Yeah, I'm literally reading about it as we're talking about it. So ago. yeah, I, I misunderstood so, it 30 seconds ago too. So yeah, live live Aaron reaction on a MLB rule change that will have unforeseen consequences, really. And I am curious to see if they do this in the postseason as well. I would assume you have to, right? How can you switch up like a a large strategy thing like that for the playoffs? So last thing we're going to talk about today yeah. is not the NBA. We will get to the end. We promise you guys we will get back to the NBA next week after the All-Star game. We have plenty of time to talk about the NBA and break it down. What we're going to talk about now is my favorite thing that happened over the weekend. Aaron's laughing at me because I was gushing over it. (laughs) We are going to talk, do a little segment on the XFL. That's right, the Extreme Football League. I think that's what the X stands for, which doesn't even make sense because (laughs) Extreme starts with an E. But that is what we are going to talk about. Aaron... Are you ready? Peter, when when I sat down and, and said, hey, what if we did a podcast five or six years ago, whenever that was, if you'd told me six years later, you and I would be recording podcast episodes and talking about the XFL, I would have said you were out of your mind. And here I am still thinking you're out of your mind, but I know you loved it. I know you thought it was great football and you have many thoughts. So I will turn the floor I to do. you, Peter. What you well, you're going to be a soundboard for me because you're going to sure. poke me when I'm wrong. Sure. So, just in general, I sat down and I was, I usually am working on Saturday nights and I try to find something to kind of have on in the background. So, most of this happened while I had it on in the background, most of it without audio. But I did sit down and I watched almost every game, almost every play of every game, you know, in the background at least. And I got to tell you, I was very pleasantly surprised. There were a lot of things that I liked. There were some things that I disliked. The main thing was I did think that the quality of football was was actually surprisingly good. I I was very uh, pleasantly surprised to see a lot of what was going on. It looked to me like obviously the players aren't as good as they are in the NFL, but 
the systems that they were running were very, very pro style. It was not like just out there running college, reading, you know, reading everything and read option, this and that. Yeah. They looked very pro style, which I liked. And there was a ton of other things like we can talk about just for a second here. What did you think? Did you see the kickoff? Did you like the kickoff? Uh, the kickoff, it makes sense from logistics, logistically. It did look look less exciting, um, which I, I don't think is necessarily a problem, but it just seemed less likely for a guy to ever break one off. Uh, but, guys, were bre- guys were breaking. I mean, it, it's a good little test pool. Yeah. and But guys were, were breaking them off. Not, and, I don't and, think anyone scored, but they were right. getting at least past the 50 on a couple. And what, what I do think... I like about the XFL and apologies if I'm cutting you off. I do. I do think it's smart to have a testing ground where you're not, you know, in the arena where you're not in the arena football league um, Mm -hmm. and have weird rules and all this other stuff. Like it's, it makes sense to have a league of football that you can test rules on. That makes sense to transfer the NFL and have guys who are of the belt, same speed and size and be able to test some things. So I think in that sense, it's good. And, and, and this is something that, yeah, like you're watching and going, okay, I could see this working in the NFL. And that's, I think that's probably the best thing the XFL has provided so far. So well, but just will, that, like that kickoff to me, it, it just, it makes complete sense. Like you said, it, it, there's no reason why it doesn't make sense. Maybe it is a little less exciting. I don't know. That's up for people to decide, but the kickoff play in general, that's why we love it. It's a very exciting play, but in a few years that play is, is going to be gone. I mean, right. in the NFL, if they keep it as it is, it's going to be gone. And I'm not going to be surprised if it probably starts at the high school level. But if, if something like what we saw in the XFL on Sunday and Saturday gets picked up or, or versions of it start to get picked up around the country, because I, I thought it was really cool. I really did uh, like that. And that's where you're and that's where you're more far more tuned in than I am. And I think that is a great point is that. It would be great if, if we can find ways for plays to make youth football a lot safer. And if mm-hmm. if that's a takeaway from the XFL, if this is all the XFL does is give us give high school and college football a safer kickoff, then kudos. But Which is funny because the XFL twenty years ago was the opposite was about of this. Big right. hits yeah. and rocking people. Right. Yeah. Which which is interesting. And they very much like went completely in the other direction with this. Like they really focused on real football. And what I liked a lot was that we obviously know about the AAF last year and how it failed. But if you watch the broadcasts and you watch the games, and I've now done way more <laughs> reading articles and listening to different people talk. I listened to Peter King the other day. I listened to Dan Patrick. I listened to Colin Coward. I listened to about 100 different guys talk about this. But it really did seem like the league as a whole was way more planned out. 100%. Th- than the AAF. The broadcast, obviously they have better broadcast deals. And when you're Vince McMahon, you're probably going to get those. But the broadcast seemed legit. Uh, like I said, the, the play on the field seemed legit. It seemed like the there were obviously hiccups in the game. There's going to be hiccups uh, when you have below average players like they did. But it overall, as a, as a product, it it looked it looked pretty good to me. And like that DC game, it looked fun. Like it looked it looked like a lot of fun. And I was listening to uh, Barstool there and. and PFT went to the game, and he's, he said that he had more fun of that game than he had any Redskins game, which isn't surprising because the right. Redskins are god-awful. But he's like, it was just great. We just went around. Everybody was happy. Everybody was cheering. There was 17,000-plus people in this little 20,000-person stadium, and they had a great time. And if that's the kind of crowd that they can keep attracting, like, that's that's great. Put yeah. Small stadiums, try to get 17,000-plus people, and 
and go and just have a good environment. It's pretty chill, relaxed football. Like, go enjoy it. Yeah, I, and I just, I, I've I, the things that I really like. Again, this is the sports business student yeah, yeah, in me no, coming absolutely. out that I that I think that they did right. Or one, if you want to be big league, you got to act big league. And Vin, and McMahon mm-hmm. has done a good job of that with the TV yes, deals, 100%. with the people that they've aligned with this. Having Pat McAfee on the sidelines, having. Listen, knowing your audience, getting barstool support in this, like that's a huge yep. audience. Um, Steve Levy did a great job too. Getting, on the getting, ESPN right, broadcast. exactly. Bringing in legitimate people, and 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 for the XFL, the biggest thing there also is like the coaching staff. Bringing in, even if there aren't guys who are crazy successful NFL coaches, but guys who have NFL pedigrees who are coaching these teams. Absolutely, there are some really. Like, Really like Mark, Tre- like Mark Tressman for like a, you know all the grief he's gotten for his NFL career being very up and down. Like that's a great guy to have at the helm of one of these franchises. So they've they've done a lot of that stuff. Well, I think it's pretty funny um, and pretty. I don't know if ironic is the right word, but it's pretty wild that most of these games were played in Major League Soccer stadiums, which I think is a testament to Major League Soccer. Um, but they honestly they weren't, and they're not gonna, like the New York game was played at MetLife, the which is a mistake. Um, the Houston game was played at University of Houston. Right. The Texas game, the Dallas game was played at uh, the the Astros. No, not the Astros. Who's the the the, the Rangers God, old stadium. the ballpark yeah. at Arlington? Yeah, the Rangers, yeah, the Rangers, old Rangers Thank you. Yeah. Uh, no, it was played there. The Seahawks or the the Seattle team this weekend is going to play in the Seattle in the Seahawks stadium. Yeah. No. So I, I, and I think that's a mistake. But continue. Uh, no, don't misinterpret. I actually think it like. Major League Soccer has done a really great job with their fan base, and, and I think the reason mm-hmm. why is creating these small environments. I think right. the WNBA is finally gaining a little bit of traction with attendance, and a big part of it, why is that a lot of these stadiums built smaller facilities for their WNBA teams to play in because it the is fun. It is so it is fun, fun to go to a basketball game where there's 8,000 people there and it's a 10,000-seat stadium. It's not exactly. It's not fun to go to it's, a basketball game where there's 8,000 people in a 20,000-seat st- stadium. And that's the same no, thing it, here, right? Like the, the New York game was the one that looked ridiculous because there were – 15,000 exactly. 15, people exactly. in a 70,000 seat stadium. It was the same. There were 17 in both. Right. In both games, there were a little over 17,000 right. so, people. And the one looked like a party, and the other one exactly. looked like, eh. And, that, and you know, that's whatever. what Major League Soccer has done a really great job of. And I think the XFL, if it's going to become legit, needs to make partnerships with some of these smaller stadiums, whether it's if in D.C., partnering with the new MLS stadium. It's a great new facility. Right, and there's no reason why um, New York shouldn't be partnered with the Rebels. And, and right, and, the, the, Rebels and the Seahawks. I'm sure the Seahawks, um, you know, the Seattle XFL team is going to take the me, take the approach me, of the Major League Soccer team out there and, and fill the stadium the similar way. But sorry, go ahead. So Seattle for this week, their first home game is this week. They had already sold 25,000 tickets, and they opened an additional thousand on Monday and sold them out in 20 minutes. And they they opened up more uh, since then, and they're, they're thinking there's going to be 30,000 people. There on Sunday in St. Louis, whose home first home game isn't for another week or two. There are already at like twenty eight thousand, and they're playing, I believe, in the old Rams Stadium. Right. So like some of those sites, like if you're getting, and it's obviously going to depend on how many you get throughout the year, not just one game. But if you're over twenty five thousand, like that's that's pretty legit. Uh, yeah, for sure. And and the thing that i where i'm i would short xfl stock if i could right now and the reason i say mm-hmm. that is that it's shiny and new and exciting right now of course and that's, and that's great and the difference is when we're in week 5 and one of these teams is mm-hmm. one and four and has nothing to play for and and yep and no one knows half the roster what happens at that point and and i tend to believe that 3 to 4 weeks from now I'm not. I'm still not going to know who the ten best players in the XFL are. 
I, and what I haven't seen a lot of, and, and I've chatted with a couple of my friends back in DC and they haven't seen a lot of it other than just like people know what's going on, but you have to develop mm-hmm. these fan bases. And what major league soccer has done a phenomenal sure. job of is when they have a city take a new team on, they get out and they develop that fan base for like three years leading up to it. So when the games come, they have so, diehard fans. And I don't think the XFL has done really any of that because so, they haven't had well, the manpower so, to. Cause I, I actually was literally reading an article on this today about how one of the differences between the XFL and the AFL was that the AFL literally was like patchwork, right? They put it right. together really late and they didn't have boots on the ground until roughly like two weeks before their first game. Right. And the XFL in excess of six months in advance <laughs> had, t- and I know it's not a ton of right. time, but they just announced the league two years. Ago. Like it's not, it's not like this league has been in a, in the works for 15 years. Um, although maybe it has been in his mind, but right. like at least they got that six to eight month leeway where they, legitimately put like 70 people in the ticket offices around the country and they were going out and they were doing marketing and stuff like right. that. Um, and that's why their ticket sales in comparison to AAF, they, like they already sold right. more than AAF sold uh, uh, yeah, but before it, their first game even started. But if you're Vince McMahon, benchmarking yourself against the AAF is already a mistake. And, no. And again, no, I, I'm not, I'm not yeah. saying that this, this can't be, I'm not saying this can't be a league that yeah. exists forever in perpetuity and draws some small crowds, but I just... I, people are buying into this hype like, great, now we have football that people are going to watch all year round and it's all we're going to talk about. And I just, I don't buy it. I think it's nice. It's great that it's a nice product. I have a hard time believing, especially in a sport where injuries are so devastating and, and careers mm-hmm. are so short. I have a tough time believing you're going to get a lot of, I know you think differently on this, but I have a tough time believing we're going to see a lot of guys come out of the XFL and all of a sudden get into the NFL, maybe at positions like receiver and corner, maybe some of like the, yeah. the skill positions. Yep. But like, if you're a left tackle in the XFL, if you're no, a left guard, you're, you're never going to make it to the NFL, right? So I, I think I I don't know if it it's really going to be like a true minor league, but I you know it doesn't mean it can't be a, a successful venture and exactly and something that's, that's but I I think like you're right you're not going to get and even at receiver like the receivers that I'm looking at that I saw play this weekend that I think could have a chance to play in the NFL are. Shorter, quicker guys probably playing in the sw- in the slot right. because all the guys that are big physical specimens are in the NFL or in an NFL roster. And I would assume the same is true in tackle, like at left tackle. If you're 6'5", 310 pounds and can move, you're going to be in the NFL. Like that's, that's just a fact. So I think you're right. Like some positions more frequently, in, if this league was to go on, will be picked off for NFL. But I do think there is value – in having a league where some NFL castoffs can go to either develop or, um, you know, try to prove they can get back into the league or whatever it is, just get some extra tape on them. And I think this league, the way it, it looks right now, has the potential to do that. Now, you say they need stars, too, which I'm not going to disagree. Like, obviously, they want the biggest name guys they can get, but I hear... Oliver Luck, who's the commissioner of the league, talking about it and how they would go about doing this. And what was interesting to me is he was saying that, you know, the goal, it's not going to be a year one thing, obviously, because people want to see that the league can't survive and that it's good football and that it's a good product before they can really start doing this. But they said, yeah, you know what, we're going to go after um, first and second year college players who, you know, are maybe in the NFL, maybe not, but want to go and, and basically make money because they're not making theoretically 
I should say, not making money at these universities. And if we can offer, you know, if there's a really good quarterback out there and we can offer him a couple hundred thousand because in this league, the quarterbacks are making around $500,000. I don't know if you know that. Right. The average of a regular player is like 55000 Right. But the quarterbacks are making five hundred, at least the, the better ones. So, like, if you offered a good college quarterback after his first year $500,000 to go play in this league for two years so he could meet the age requirement of the NFL, I think you're putting them in a very interesting spot. I really do. Especially, obviously, depending on the player's background and what their situation is. Yeah, you are. I still think, one, we're about to see what will happen in the next couple of years with this NCAA basically coming out and saying, like, yeah, we're kind of cool with players getting paid if we figure it out right. So this, mm-hmm. this is only an extra incentive for the NCAA to figure that out. But, two, you're never at, – at, if you're that good of a prospect that's going to be able to go from the XFL to the league as a quarterback, you're probably at an Alabama, at a Clemson, at a – Oregon at a place that's got like the real chance at a national title. Um, and granted, we see guys, you know, Joe Flacco came out of Delaware. Um, you see, you know, uh, Carson Wentz played at North Dakota State, right? So you do, mm-hmm. there are exceptions. And sure, maybe if Carson would have gone to the XFL, but the chances of Carson really getting recognized and being in a good situation where he feels like he's developing, I, I, I don't really see it. I, I, for sure, it could happen, but it, it feels like, and if you are pulling Carson Wentz to be that guy, is that a draw? And I don't. It wasn't when he was in North Dakota State, right? Like no, we, but I mean, I I really do. It, it it depends on how well the league does, and if it's still going, and if they can prove that they're actually sustainable. And it is honestly, it, there are a lot of guys in this league that I think the level of play is higher than a lot of these Division One college games. I really do. Yeah, probably. Um, but again, yeah, I, I mean, you're playing against grown men, so I don't know if you're hurting your your draft stock by going there instead of Alabama. Like if you can make the throws, you can make the throws and you're making them to some players who were like a lot of these players were on NFL rosters. So if you could do it to guys that were good enough to make some of these teams or to, to get invites to camp, like you're still in pretty good shape. I, again, I think the, so there's two things that we're, I want to separate. Cause one is, yeah, is again, like for Carson Wentz, that might've made a lot of sense. And, my point being that if Carson Wentz is that guy who comes to the XFL, it doesn't draw any seats for the XFL. What would have drawn seats from the XFL is if Tua came all of a sudden, right? But Tua's never right. going to leave Alabama because but, but the draw. Why? But if you're offering him $500,000 a year, why not? Because, one, again, like it'll be dependent on the NCAA coming. Pride? But I think the draw. Wait, because of what? Wait, what would you say? I, well, it'll, one, it'll, we'll see what happens with NCAA and compensation. But one, I think, I think sure. the allure of winning a national championship at Alabama outweighs one year of 500K playing football in the XFL. I do. I think that... See, uh, maybe, but, like, why do NBA guys go one and done? Like... It's so different. I don't know. It's it's different. I, I'm, like... I, I think... I, you, well, put, you put I, that much money on the table to a lot of these kids, and they're going to take it. And I'm not even necessarily saying just quarterback. This could be other positions, too. Maybe they're not offering them as much money, and maybe you're getting... I don't know, maybe not the top tier guys, but if you're still getting, you know, the next tier down, it'd still be a draw. I, it, I, for me, it isn't, right? Like, I, it's barely a, the XFL is, is a draw. Mm-hmm. 
not because of the players in the field. And I think that's where it's going to have to be successful. And minor league baseball is a great representation of this. Minor league baseball is a successful business. There are a lot of teams mm-hmm. that make a lot of money that fill up stadiums and people right. do not care who's on that roster. Like if you're the XFL, yep. I actually don't think star power is the route to go. I think it helps. Like if you can get a guy, if you can get a Larry Fitzgerald to be like, ah, before I hang it up, I'll spend one extra year in the XFL. Well, that Why was not? the other thing too. Right? Somebody like, was talking like, what if, what if like, if he could be the Des retirement Bryant's party, trying to get back in and, and you see him, putting these videos out there of him working out what if he's like you know what i'm gonna go i'm gonna go it's not even about making the money in the xfl right because he has plenty of money it's just about showing teams look i can still get out on the football field i can run routes i can you know still catch the ball like could be guys like that yeah for sure and and that's you know maybe that's more interesting but again i i don't i think the converse the what i my ultimate point with all this is again i think that the xfl can exist and in perpetuity and be a a minorly successful you know like people will know that it exists but yes. it's never going to yeah. be the thing that's leading espn or really no, no, on no, first take I don't, I don't or any of that, that stuff all. and people are hot about it right now and i just think that the expectation for what this thing is going to become is is a little souped up right now i still think of it as like no, no. it's fine like but i don't i don't see it turning into an nfl pipeline or being this big draw uh, and see, i think I, I don't i don't think it's it's not going to be the next big thing, like you said. It's not going to overtake the NFL or anything like that, right? No, I'm not. You know yeah, I'm, I'm saying think, like people I think, think you it, need to define how you use the term pipeline because I do think if the two leagues could find – like the NFL was working with the AAF. If the NFL ended up seeing this XFL and see it did well in the first year and they're going to run in the second year and maybe they start picking off a college kid or two and maybe they say, okay, we're going to work with you and we're going to have some kind of deal where our players can go back and forth or, or whatever it is, I do think – there's value in having that, I'll, I'll call it a pipeline for this sake, a pipeline where guys can go and try to develop. Maybe nothing comes to those guys, but maybe you hit on one out of every 20, and that's good, you know? And define hit on those guys. Right. You know, it's, it, we're talking marginal NFL players probably, but there's still value there. For sure. Because I... a lot of these guys are not getting time to develop in the NFL. They're just, they're just not. And, it, like, what if... So is the like XFL... I, I look at it in, like... An, in, 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 an NF, in the NBA, right, I'm not talking about G League. I'm talking about you own a player's rights overseas. Could there be something like that with the NFL where, okay, you have you own 10 guys' rights in the XFL. No. Like, they go play, they develop, maybe something comes of it, maybe it doesn't. But, like, could there be some kind of, of system there? And I, I do think there is potential for that. Why doesn't that already exist with the CFL? Like, there are other organizations out there. I, I don't know. I, I don't have a good answer for that question. So, I, yeah, I just... It's fun, and I'm glad the quality of football is good. Again, I think the testing ground for the rules is great. I think that's probably the best value this thing can provide the NFL. And and if that's all it is, that's mm-hmm. fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But I just think no. I no. my personal take is is the 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 hype's a little high, and and I would again I would short the stock if I could. No, I don't but, see, but I don't think it's that high. I don't think anybody's saying it's going to be like the next big thing. I don't I don't see that anywhere. People, I just see people like people keep saying basically like, oh yeah, I would like to go tune into that. Like, all right, you know, it's on, whatever, I'll go watch it. Right. but Maybe you go but, to a game every now and then. And, and my take on that is that let's talk three to five weeks from now and see if, like, just because week one you were like, oh, cool, that was nice to have on TV, doesn't mean that you'll mm-hmm. it'll ever become appointment viewing in a way that ESPN goes to renew the contract three years from now or however long that contract mm-hmm. is and all that sort of stuff. And that's to me where it's like I just, I don't, I don't ever see it. But, but. The yeah, airways, gonna, I mean, airways need the, something to show, and, and it is football. Well, so. they do, and this is the spot where they need it, like, badly. Like, they need it from now until NBA playoffs because 
There really isn't much. You got the NBA regular season. The, this, it's the first weekend, so obviously the numbers are probably inflated, but it did better than any sporting event this weekend, except for I think it was like the last round of the golf or whatever it was. Right. But it did better than Duke UNC. It did better than the primetime NBA games the other night. So it's just going to be interesting to keep track of as the season goes on where those those ratings sit and go. Yeah, and that's and that's what I'm selling. But we'll see. Maybe I'll be wrong. Yeah, I mean, if it sits at, it was at 3.9 or whatever, 3.3 million people, like if it sits at 2, can they exist with 2 million viewers? Yeah, for sure. Maybe not on ESPN proper, but somewhere. Well, they were showing a lot of like similar events that had like 2 million people, and they were definitely definitely ESPN events. So I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see, obviously. We'll, it's just something to keep an eye on here as we continue with the spring. Me yeah. personally, I'm a Houston Roughnecks fan. I'm officially <laughs> in. PJ Walker, baby. Get a roll. All right. Uh, all right. Last thing I want to talk about real quick. We got a few minutes here as we end up. Uh, we have not been on the airwaves since Kobe Bryant passed away. So here as we're wrapping up, why don't you give some of your thoughts on Kobe? Yeah, it was a surreal day. I haven't been glued to my Twitter timeline like that. In, in quite some time, uh, maybe if ever, I think this was kind of a moment that, you know, we were obviously too young really to process what happened with Princess Di, um, but it kind of felt like that moment for the sports world where it was just no one could believe this. This couldn't possibly happen. Kobe is this superhuman. Um, and I've probably read and, and listened and watched, and I know you have too, to, to just about everything that's been put out there. And it's it's you know, now that we're a couple weeks removed, it's still very weird and surreal. Kobe's legacy is really complicated because he did some not so great things on and off the court. Um, he was a great teammate. He was a terrible teammate. He, you know, it's very up and down, but I think what, um, for me, the thing that has stuck with me and is, is what hurt the most for me was that it really seemed like he was tapping into this unfound potential as a person, as an ambassador for women's sports, which was really, really powerful as someone who works a lot with, with women's sports now, um, it, it needs more ambassadors. And, and Kobe was maybe the best and not just for basketball, but for any women's sport period. And, um, and then you, you factor in just the tragedy of the lost lives of three children and all their families. Um, and, and it's just devastating. But I, you know, I, I think for me, Kobe was a staple of growing up. Like we, we really grew up in that kind of, yeah, I vaguely remember MJ playing a few games on the bulls, but Kobe was always there as long as I remember basketball. And, you know, I wasn't his biggest fan during those Lakers years, but I always respected and I will forever pick up something. And when I go throw out a piece of trash and yell Kobe and, uh, and the Mamba mentality and the toughness and the, and there's for sure a lot to be learned and admired from, from what he, he really created in that, in that sense and in, in finding motivation. So again, a complicated legacy that he's leaving behind. And, um, for me, it just, it hurts to see what he really seemed like he had become a better and better person over the years. And, and really maybe what spurred it was that, was that, um, Achilles tear and he kind of shifted focus into like, okay, I'm going to surpass Jordan in championships to like, okay, it's time to leave my legacy and help the basketball world and the sports world grow 
and he seemed to really be making strides in that and you saw it in the way that so many players were affected and all these families were affected and and uh yeah just really tragic for the sports world and and we haven't seen at least in our lifetime anything quite like it the only thing i could think even remotely close in the sports world is probably roberto clemente but um but yeah i i uh I uh I was definitely struck and, and affected by it and um you know just just so so devastated for for those families involved and those families that got torn apart that day more than anything I think is really really what has has not gone away since since it happened. Yeah, I'm pretty much right there with you. Like you said, we grew up with Kobe. Like pretty much our whole lives we were watching Kobe play basketball. He yeah. really came onto the scene. I remember staying up Late, really, one of my first basketball memories was staying up late uh, in 2001 to watch Iverson play yeah. in the NBA Finals against this guy Kobe Bryant, who was really freaking good at basketball <laughs> and ripping my heart out at the same time. Yeah, like you said, like I, I don't know that many people that were actually like Kobe fans, but everybody kind of liked watching him. It was it was that weird. He was spot where no you, one was a fan, but we all uh, at least respected what he was doing. I you, guess maybe. you either loved or Murray hate you hate him. He, he made you feel yeah. something for sure. Yeah, he absolutely did. So I was listening to the radio airwaves around here, and I'm obviously down in in Pennsylvania. I'm currently living seven miles from where Kobe went to high school, and the radio waves that day were filled with people calling in, and everybody has a Kobe story around here because yeah. he was. In gyms, it was crazy. Everyone would call and be like, "Yeah, I went to this gym at like six a.m. and there was Kobe just like shooting around." Or I was at a gym, you know, me and my buddies went to go play at eleven o'clock at night, and like Kobe was just in there shooting around. It was it was crazy to hear all these random stories, and it was all pretty much about when you look at it deeper, like how really invested in the game he was, and and how his work ethic was just so incredible and, and unmatched really to anybody that that we've seen in a while that it was just really like you said devastating to see yeah. what happened and then you learn that his daughter's on the plane and, and there were other families and other children involved like just really really sad and yeah I can't really think of anyone else either that that has kind of hit that way I mean you see stadiums or not stadiums but like courts in Italy being painted for Mamba. Yeah. And one, I think, in Africa and one in South America. Like, like a glo- he's a global, global, global icon. icon, and there's not many of those guys in the NBA. No, he's really – he really was the first one because of his relationship with China. Like, Jordan yeah. – Jordan is huge over there, but Jordan, – but- Jordan's a – Jordan was a global icon, but but different but different in, in, in like literally in just like the shoe business world because when Jordan went over to China and and the Nike brand was really growing over there, he was done playing. Like Kobe went over there in his prime and was still like this like could go put a clinic on where he was dunking the basketball and all this stuff. So his but, fame and the accessibility now though too, where it's easier to to see yeah highlights and. and- Clips and stuff. No, and I went to China two years ago with with business school, and, and we got to play pickup basketball in Beijing, and this was in 2016, so Kobe was done. But every single one of those kids, I, it was like mm-hmm. we we I mean we could talk a little bit of English with these kids, and we it was like maybe 12 or 15 that we interacted with, and I think of the 12 or 15, I, I counted one guy who liked KD and one guy who liked LeBron, and everybody else it was Kobe was their favorite player. It, it's crazy. It was seriously crazy, and and his global reach and. Uh, yeah, well, so I wonder how much of that too is just how many like games they actually get overseas and what yeah, teams and, they get. Yeah, and LA for sure was a big piece of it, and and mm-hmm. 
he uh, he was definitely part of it. But again, I think his his going over there and and obviously Yao was you know the with the cultural course, icon, yeah. icon over there because yeah. he's you know the the, the their great player, but. The, the fact that he would come over there and, and help teach the game and, and make an impact in their community in that sense, he was really one who led that. And LeBron has followed, and lots of guys have followed since, but Kobe was really the first guy who did that in China specifically. So, And then and then his cultural connection to, to Italy, having grown up there, and, and also one of the things that's been so fascinating to read about him was how he was like a language savant. And how he was oh, yeah. he was shit talking uh, Luca in Slovenian Luca. like two <laughs> yeah. weeks like two yeah. weeks before he died like like yep. oh, just crazy that like, that's the thing that's incredible and that when he showed up to L A he was like I'm gonna learn Spanish because there are a lot of Spanish speaking reporters here and I want to mm-hmm. be able to talk to my fans who speak Spanish like that's sure. a, like he was just he was really a, a genius in a lot of ways too like outside of the basketball world I mean his his writing ability obviously winning an Oscar and and things that he was accomplishing in finance and investing I mean he. He was a genius, uh, just really, really one of the most interesting people. Um, and, and from everything you read, really just the way he commanded a room and, and changed and altered people's lives just from his small yeah, interactions is, is mean, pretty unique. And, and his current impact on pretty much every NBA The entire player. league is crazy. Like, everybody grew up watching Kobe. Yeah. Because like, this league is our kind of era, like, they're all kind of our age, and and it's it's we grew up watching Kobe. They did too. It's astounding how many of the players clearly, you know, he was talking to or texting with. Oh, my, it seemed like he talked to everyone. It was like how does every, how does everyone have a text from Kobe in the last two weeks? I, it's unbelievable, <laughs> it's, uncanny. Yeah, I mean, I think again, I think and that's and that's the shift. Stephen A. That I think Stephen I was. Stephen A. Was like, yeah, I got a text from Kobe like a couple months ago saying I should watch my cholesterol. Yeah. and I was like, how the hell did he know it was high? <laughs> crazy stories yeah and and that's i think again the shift that seemed to have happened later in his career where early in his career he didn't want any of that but clearly he 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 changed his mind and wanted that and and really embraced it so why don't we wrap it with uh a favorite of all the stuff that you read or or story or moment what's your what's the favorite that's what's the one that's been sticking with you and everything that you've been reading Mm. i got i got one i can go first if you you go first yeah you go first the one that's i've loved is jay williams story um where Jay Williams, is good, Jay yeah. Williams before a game like he's he's playing at the Staples Center and he um, he's only in the NBA for one year but he's like I gotta go I want to go get make like 300 shots before the game so he goes in he's shooting around working out for an hour and he walks in there and, and while he walks in Kobe's already working out and doing like really intense moves like really intense workout and they have a game that that night and Jay's working out he's shooting 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 for an hour or whatever he, he wraps up he's you know taking his shoes off sitting back and he's looking over to Kobe and Kobe's still getting after it and Jay's like he's gonna have no energy tonight like this is ridiculous what's he doing mm-hmm. Jay Williams goes back to the locker room he comes out Kobe just tears them apart they, the Lakers win the game and Jay's like I never thought I would be the guy fanboying but I gotta go ask and he goes up to Kobe and he's like I just gotta ask like why did you feel the need to get like that crazy of a workout in on game day? And Kobe just looked at him and goes, I wanted you to know, I needed you to know, no matter how hard you work, I was going to outwork you. And Jay was like, and I've never, never seen anything like it. And I think that's really what a lot of us will remember Kobe for was that just relentless, relentlessness. And, uh, and that's the ultimate example I can think of that of all the stuff I heard. So I'll go on the lighter side. Okay. I, I don't know if you heard, or if you saw what Iverson like kind of wrote about it publicly. No. Um, I'll say this because my guy's obviously at Iverson yeah. too. But like I think it was their rookie year or a year or two after they were in the league. They were obviously buddies. And actually Kobe had previously talked about like how 
this was later in life, but Kobe had talked about how, you know, his whole goal was like to beat Iverson for a while and to be better because he knew he was coming at him, right. you know, every night there for a while. But that's the science. They have like respect for each other, just what I'm trying to say. But they went out to dinner in LA and this was the night before a game. <laughs> and they, they kind of finish eating up, they're talking, whatever, and, and Kobe goes, So so AI, like, what are you what are you doing tonight? And Iverson goes, Oh man, I'm going to the club. <laughs> and, <laughs> And Kobe's like, oh, okay. And Iverson goes, what are you doing? He goes, oh, I'm going right back to the gym. <laughs> and it was like, if you needed to know anything yep. about each of those two guys, like that one conversation pretty much said it all. Yep, for sure. Yeah, I, there were a couple of good ones like that for sure. Where yeah, uh, I think someone on the USA team said something about like, like they finished up and Kobe was, and they were like, what do you think about doing tonight? Kobe was like, oh, we go to the club. And the guy was like, really? He's like, no, I'm going to the gym. Like, what are you, what are you talking about? We got practice in the morning. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Truly an icon. True, true baller. Yeah. And, what do you uh, think? Are they going to change the logo or should they change it? What do you think? I don't know. What do you think the proper tribute is by the NFL or NBA? I think they've done a lot of it already. I, um, I, I, I hesitate to switch him to the logo, especially knowing his, his, uh, off- I don't, I don't change the logo. I don't change the logo, especially knowing his off the court stuff. And, and again, I think Kobe's leg, like he's con conflict, uh, complicated, and mm-hmm. there's nuance to all this, and I don't know if he. I think that's the tra- the the response in the moment is like he deserves to be larger than life, and he always will be. And and I think he's getting properly recognized. Um, you know, like I, I don't even know how I feel about the about Cuban retiring his number. I don't know if that makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm actually okay with that. I'm okay with like teams retiring that number. Yeah, I, I it's only interesting. because I wouldn't be okay with it if it sounds fucked up, but if he didn't die. Like, right. it's a tragic situation. People should remember it, whatever. I'm okay with it. For sure. And, yeah, and I what's what's crazy will be his, his Hall of Fame induction this this fall. I mean, that's going to be gonna be pretty wild. Oh, that, and it's a hell of a class. Yeah. It's KG and Tim Duncan also. Yeah. I'm sure there's going to be some stories out there for sure. For sure. Um, I also think Stephen A., they were talking about this on first take, and Stephen A. was like, listen, with all due respect to Kobe, they can't change the logo to Kobe because it should be reserved if it's going to change for one guy and it's MJ MJ it's like they're, they're, you can't do like what do you like god forbid anything happen to MJ but like people would be dying to change it to the Jumpman logo or something yeah, like that you know for sure and, and um, that's where I think yeah I, I I know it's the in the moment response to feel that way but I don't I don't think in the totality of it, it makes sense and you know, they, no, they, I, I think, think so. it was a great gesture with the Warriors doing it on their T-shirt and, like, absolutely make T-shirts where he's the logo. But, like, to actually change it, I think, is... Uh, you know what I'd be okay with? I don't know what the the court is actually called at Staples Center, but I'd be okay with, like, a Kobe Bryant court. Yeah, that, that would feel right. Cool. I mean, that's the build. I mean, that everyone said it, right? It's the house he built, so that would make, mm-hmm. that would make a lot of sense. And I, I really hope when the Lakers do a statue, I hope, I hope, uh, oh, I hope yeah, Gigi's a part of it, too. Oh, that'd be cool. That'd be really cool. He's definitely getting a statue. Yeah, there. for sure. He's got to get a statue. All right. Well, that is all the time we have for today. Aaron, I will talk to you later. Sounds good. Rest in peace to Kobe and, and uh, all the families affected. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for listening. And make sure to follow us on SoundCloud as well as iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. That's right. We are big time now and exist in more than just one place. So make sure to give us a five-star review on iTunes 
as well. It really helps out the podcast. And finally, follow us on our Twitter account at GNG Podcast and website gngsports.com for our latest content. Thanks again for listening and make sure to check back in next week for our next episode.